are some important lessons to take from this Lauren Daigle debacle, but we will start with breaking down yet another Christmas song right after this. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains. Show and Merry Christmas to you. Happy Advent season. We will begin with a Christmas song in just a moment, but quickly to preview the show. If you have not heard, Lauren Daigle, the Christian artist, got herself into a little bit of hot water, uh, primarily out of cowardice over an issue. I have some audio from Joel Osteen that will make you go, uh, what? There is a story from a teacher who was fired for not using a transgender student's preferred name and pronoun, uh, and there's a little crack-up in the intersectionality coalition. We might get into what's going on with the president and some some thoughts on the potential legal trouble there. I will try to avoid that topic, but we might get there. So all of that to come, but first, my name is Corey Truax. We are dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. Glad to have you with us on Christian Talk 660 or over on Anchor. Uh, where you can support the show, by the way. You can support the show. It would be uh, very generous of you this Christmas season to do so. Anchor.fm, and you can just look for me, Anchor.fm. We're also on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, we're everywhere, and glad that you listen. Let's start here. We get five Saturdays in the month of December. It's a rarity, and I have been in the Christmas spirit, and so... We're starting the show with a new Christmas song every week. And I saw on my favorite comedy site, Babylon B, their satire site, uh, there was, it was a joke, something like, this congregation readies itself for singing joy to the world all four weeks of December, or all four Sundays of December. And that's funny, because it's true. It's the joy to the world tends to be the first Christmas song that comes out of the book when you're going to the church setting. And so while it is a... It is a trope. It becomes its own motif uh, because it's kind of simple. Because, by the way, Christmas songs, they're hard. They're super hard to play for musicians. Uh, Christmas songs are are intricate in their design. Joy to the World is one of the more simple, and it's also just like a Christmas carol. It's super fun. You can open a service with it. Uh, it's a joyful sound, I understand, gets maybe overused, but there is some good theology there. And so as you sing it with your congregation... Be uh, be thinking about what I'm about to tell you on the words. By the way, if you're not singing with a congregation, what are you doing? If you're a, if you're if you're a person who says you're a believer, you're following Jesus. There is no such thing as the Christian life lived outside of a local church, and so go find one wherever you are. Uh, I know you got plenty of excuses and had plenty of bad church experiences, and there's lots of hypocritical, terrible people in churches, just like at your job and everywhere else on the planet. Nevertheless, find a local congregation. You are invited to Beachwood Church, where I, by the way, serve as the pastor for teaching. We meet at Greenville High School in downtown Greenville. Uh, that's uh, 1030, Sunday mornings for Greenville High School. We meet there. It's Beachwood Church. All right, here we go. As you sing Joy to the World, I do want to highlight a couple different uh, a couple different phrases. So in verse 3, I hope your church sings verse 3. In the old Baptist world, you always sing stanzas 1, 2, and 4, and stanza 3 gets left out. There's no reason. Stanza three is a really good one. By the way, I'm the third of four kids. Why are you skipping my stanza? Okay, here you go, number three. No more let sins and sorrows grow. 
They said, no more meaning stop it, right? We're not going to have these things anymore. No more what? No more will we let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Well, that's, that is good news. Talked about the gospel, good news. No more let sins grow. Folks, think through the, think through the saddest, hardest parts of your life. Your 20 years, your 30 years, your 60 years, whoever you are listening. I know for me, I can track my hardest times to either my sin or to someone else's. And to imagine a world where sin stops growing, no more sin, it doesn't have dominion here. Where our own dark hearts don't cause us and others trouble, and where other people's dark hearts don't cause us trouble. Oh, what a world. So, joy to the world. This, when this Lord has come he, comes, he comes this first time as a baby, coming again later to make all things right. Could even be today, as we, we believe in the, in the theology of his return, to have sin no longer growing. No more let sin and sorrow grow, is the first line of that stanza. That's one of the consequences of sin a whole bunch. There is pleasure in it for a season, and then you know what comes? A whole bunch of sorrow. That's the consequence of sin. And sometimes sorrow doesn't necessarily come directly from sin. It's it's just the sorrows of tragedy. And to think of a world that we believe is coming. Jesus came as a baby to start his kingdom. He'll come again to bring it in its fullness to have a world where no more sin and sorrow grows. And then the next line, nor thorns infest the ground. This reminds me of that Romans 8 or 9, can't remember, a passage where it's it's even the earth is groaning to be redeemed. Even It's not just us who are groaning, but the earth itself knows it was not made for the travails that it has. The earth is groaning for its king to come again and be made right. So Don't let sin and sorrow grow anymore, but no more thorns infesting the ground. This thing that sin caused back in Genesis, that going away. Oh, that's that's an incredible truth. So no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He, Jesus, comes to make his blessings flow. That's good news. How far do they flow? Well, here's how. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. To every corner of this planet where sin has destroyed, where sorrow has been inflicted, where the thorns infest the ground, wherever sin has caused the problem, he comes to make the blessing flow. Everywhere the curse has been, there is going to be a solution. The final verse, I'll just read it to you. He rules the world with truth and grace. Yeah, I said I'd read it, but i got to stop and talk about that. We don't have rulers that lead with truth and grace. I don't mean that just as personalities, and we don't. There's not a government in this on this planet that has a has a leader, I guess, that leads with truth and grace. There might be some somewhere, some country I don't know about. But you know, we're we're a people of the Enlightenment. We're still people rule, but the things that rule us the most are ideas. The true emperors of the modern world are things like materialism. It's the sexual revolution. It's libertinism, not libertarianism. Those are two different things. These are the emperors of the world that tell us how to think, what to think. 
Well, the ruler of the world that's coming, he rules the world, how? With truth and grace. And makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. When you sing that in church, don't just wash over it. Think it through. Focus on those things that we're singing and the truth we find therein. Speaking of singers, let's talk about Lauren Daigle. Hi, look at my my professional broadcasting segue there. Hello, I'm Corey Truax, a professional broadcaster. Speaking of singers, Lauren Daigle. I'll give you the facts of the case, and then I have lots of thoughts. If you don't know Lauren Daigle, that would surprise me. She is a popular Christian singer. I guess she's crossed over in some way where some secular outlets will play her music. Uh, I will admit, she's talented. Uh, The girl's got an incredible voice. It was once a very unique voice. I think a lot of people have copied it. There's a stylistic thing happening here where it's very soulful. It's a very unique voice, but a lot of women are doing that now. I think it's an affectation. It's not the actual singing voice. It's when they make up. And you can tell, typically, because Lauren Daigle, when she talks, sounds nothing like when she sings. Like She doesn't even pronounce vowels the same way. Uh, so, And there's a lot of women doing that now, but I think Adele sort of started that. Daigle kind of copies it, made it her own. That's a whole genre of female singing now. Uh, but Daigle's had a bunch of number one hits. I'm sure you've heard her music. If, you listen, if you're listening right now on Christian Talk 660, uh, just over on WLFJ 89.3. That is where they play a lot of the contemporary Christian music. I'm sure you've heard her music there. So here are the facts of the story. So first, she went on Ellen DeGeneres' show. And there was some controversy there because Ellen DeGeneres is a lesbian. And so there was the question of, should this Christian singer go on the show? I uh, will give you my unpopular opinion. Sure, why not? The, uh, the idea that let me say it this way. If she would have gone on Jimmy Fallon and sang the same song, no one would have cared. If she would have gone on any other late night talk show, no one cares. It's just that she, Ellen Generous happens to be openly gay, and therefore there shouldn't be an association, apparently. Uh, well, you know, Jimmy Fallon's openly pagan. I mean, if she would have gone on Conan O'Brien, I mean, this is an, an openly kind of anti-Christian guy. I mean, he's, he's made some jokes in that direction. We, we're either going to interact with the pagan world or we're not. So I, I would have said to Lauren Daigle or any Christian artist, if you're actually going to go sing a Christian song, if you're actually going to say Christian things, go to the pagans. Go do that. Yeah, including Ellen DeGeneres. Go to that pagan. Go on the show. Sing your Christian song with your very clear theological message. Uh, so I actually had no problem with her going on Ellen. I, I wish more Christians had, and the, and the right ones, the ones with good theology, had access to those kind of megaphones. It is often the case that the Christians we see in that part of the public sphere, a very secular public sphere, are the ones not prepared for hard questions, the ones that aren't bold. And so uh, Lauren Daigle goes on Ellen, and it starts to give her some controversy. I was okay with her going on Ellen with the assumption you're going to go on and say Christian things and sing a Christian song that has a clear theological message. The song was okay. Certainly could have had more clarity on the on the Christian part, but it was fine. Then she, because of the controversy, she ends up being interviewed, and she gets asked, "Do you do, do you hold?" The questioner didn't ask it this way, but this is how it should have been said. Do you hold to the biblical view that homosexual activity is sin? And Daigle's response was utterly. Ter- 
terrible. Just just horrendous. I don't have the quote in front of me, but I, I am being faithful to the spirit of the quote. It was, I don't know. God's the judge. I would just say to people, read their Bible. And go read your Bible. And if you figure it out, come tell me, because I'm really confused about it. So she she was not bold. She was not clear on something that is very clear. And so I have several thoughts. Let me give the first one. We'll take a break. We'll come back and give the rest. So first to Lauren Daigle. If you've read a Bible, this one isn't hard. Homosexuality, acting upon your homosexual impulses, it is sinful. This is not a question of the sexual ethic the Bible gives us, starting from Genesis and the general design of humankind. Uh, The design is man and woman. Beyond that, uh, you don't even need to get into the Old Testament Israeli laws. You can just go to Romans 1. You can go to Romans, I believe, 6, where ah, that might be third. I think it is Romans 6, or maybe 1 Corinthians 6. In any event, uh, where homosexuality is just included in a long list of other of other sins. Uh, and you can even get to Jesus here where he talks about marriage. He's, he's going to refer back to Adam and Eve as the, the model uh, that sexuality is to be practiced exclusively between a man and a woman, and also exclusively inside marriage. This is true. This is clear. This is, this is not even a hard interpretation of the Bible. We're not getting into like what you think about end times. Uh, we're, we're just talking about clear sexual ethic about how God designed the planet. Uh, so she, she failed miserably on that. It's, the Bible is actually very clear, and I wish Lauren Daigle would have been a little bit more bold. There's a couple other thoughts we can draw from that, a good ethic of how to interact with a pagan world. So we'll get to that and a whole lot more when we return on the Corey Act Show. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Welcome back into the Corey Act Show. Connect to the show whenever you please at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. And if you would be so kind, share the show with others on your own social media feeds. Uh, coming up here soon, when it is posted, I will let you know I was a guest on another podcast called Unframe of Mind. I had an interesting discussion uh, with uh, someone who wasn't quite like-minded. And so uh, keep your eye out for that uh, over on my social media as well. When it's available, I'll make sure you all know. So talking about Lauren Daigle here, uh, that first, as she was asked a question about homosexuality, she definitely got it wrong. Uh, the Bible is really clear about the sexual ethic, that it is that sex is to be enjoyed only amongst men and women inside of marriage. Now, beyond that, a couple of other items for, that we can learn from her. We uh, are, by design, uh, being a Christian in any earthly environment, any earthly culture, we are not home. So the Chinese Christian probably has a, a better view of this. They understand that their government, their culture, it's not, it's not the one that, it's not the kingdom of God. That the, uh, the Congolese Christian probably does get it. That, man, I, I'm a follower of Jesus now. I'm in the kingdom of God. This culture around me, the things that we think, our values, well, they're, they're, not, they're not the biblical values. There's a problem for the American Christian that they don't understand that often. Uh, that we, can, we, we tend to think about America and Christianity as the same thing. One other person I listen to calls it Americanity. And so we struggle with the fact that the American ethic is not the Christian ethic a whole bunch. It's actually quite rare that the two intersect with one another. And so, what 
we have to figure out is, so if we're not from here, if we're exiles here, that's the language of, the, of, of Scripture, that we are exiles in these cultures. And so you're Lauren Daigle, you're an exile here, you've been given some kind of platform, what do you do with that? What's the ethic of it? Uh, well, there's a couple of different options, and here's what the Christian church has done historically. There's been one set of Christians who have set up essentially a subculture or a parallel culture. And so the idea is separatism. Just don't be around the world whatsoever. So we are, gonna, we are going to create our own Christian movies, Christian TV shows, Christian breath mints, Christian lines of t-shirts, Christian keychains, Christian everything. You can go to our Christian gym. Our, the, our fitness center that we're going to build is, is for the Christians. And so we literally just ignore the world. Maybe we have to go to work, but in all the things that we interact with, the media, the art, we just set up a sub or parallel culture that doesn't interact with the world's culture at all, the secular world. That's one of the options. We've seen that certainly in the Southeast. That is part of independent Baptists. That's been part of the ethic, I think, openly embraced and, and, and taught is to just be so separate from the world, you have no interaction with it whatsoever. That's been an option. There's certainly been the other option that I think over-involves itself and then starts looking like the world. It so uh, decides to be involved that you can't tell that the values are different, different and the beliefs are different. Well, when we go to Scripture, we actually get an idea on how to model this. Uh, you can do that conceptually in First Peter where you're, you will go to uh, re- go to First Peter and read about situations the people were in at the time, uh, and he just has this great concept. We'll just be in exile. In that, one of your values is peace, so live at peace with everybody you can, up until the moment where living at peace with this command or this situation would be a violation of your chief principles, that you are not from here, that you have a different morality than this place, and then in that case, be peaceable, be kind, but don't follow along. So he, he gives the concepts there, but then we can actually put flesh on them. You go over to Daniel, and you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these Jewish young people, ta- literally exiled, taken from their home, and taken to a pagan place called Babylon. Daniel there as well. And you can see two things they didn't do. They didn't conform themselves they didn't start looking like the Babylonians. They actually held a very different diet. They still practiced their prayers, their Jewish prayers. They were still holding on to their religion. But at the same time, they didn't ignore the world. They actually worked in it. They worked in Babylon. They had jobs. They were good at their jobs. They were being advanced in their jobs. They had a voice and an influence because they were particularly good at their jobs. And then they spoke the, the truth of that of the one true God they followed. And so they didn't avoid the world, but they also didn't get so involved in those jobs, in that culture, that they didn't seem any different than the Babylonians. They were always very distinct from the Babylonians in their actions, but they were not so distinct that the Babylonians just kind of ignored them and they ignored the Babylonians. That is where we should live. So where Lauren Daigle failed here is she went off the rails to one side. Well, well, there's no difference in you, Lauren, than any other pagan on when it comes to your thoughts on what the Bible says about homosexuality. You just don't know? Well, you should know. It's easy. At the same time, we should not overcorrect and, you know, don't go on Ellen or totally separate yourself from the planet. You really can't do anything good for anybody if you are separated from the culture where you are. 
So that's what she should have done, and that's something we can learn as exiles. That's the balance we're striking. We are going to engage the world. We're going to engage the in, in the jobs that we have and in, in their families and cultural uh, structures and community events, and we're going to be updated on what kind of art they're consuming and what the songs are and all that, and then speak Christianly, think biblically into that culture in a way that doesn't separate ourselves from them, uh, where we're tr- we're trying to put up a wall between us and the non-believer, uh, but then also not that we're so involved that we just look like the non-believer, we think like they do, and we behave like they do. One more thought from the Lauren Daigle situation, and that is, I think this is a good, this is a good example of a reason why I've been saying for a while we should have never done Christian contemporary music. Like if someone was super talented I've, and they were coming to me for advice, which is a terrible idea. You should never ask me for advice. And they're creative, great songwriter. Like we, we I want to get into music and I'm a Christian, so I'm going to do Christian music. I, w- I would wonder what's that, what's that mean and also why? Why don't you just do good music? write songs about anything that inspires you. Some of those will be spiritual, I'm sure. Some won't, maybe. Or maybe you're finding the spirituality in the things that people find mundane and secular. When we set up this structure of we're going to do Christian music, we did kind of separate ourselves off. And so then what we have is folks like Lauren Daigle who found their way into Christian music. And so because she's not just a singer, because she's not just an artist, because we've dubbed her a Christian artist, we then find people who need to get their theology from her. And that's not healthy. It's not good. And so that that substructure we put up of Christian music was probably not helpful. Consider what it would be. It'd be a little different if Lauren Daigle was just a singer. And some of her songs were vaguely Christian. I mean, a lot of those songs in the Christian world, all they sound like are overcome songs like they might as well be Katy Perry's firework like they might have some Jesus-y language but not actually ever say the word Jesus like you're overcoming your hard times because of something spiritual Uh, but there a lot of the songs that come out of that genre are just basically Katy Perry songs about being inspired and overcoming your your problems well if Lauren Daigle just succeeds in the music world and she happens to say that she's a Christian then she gets this theology wrong there's a different reaction one of the issues here is we've set up a subculture, and we probably shouldn't. And I'm about to be a real jerk, too, on this. I think one of the reasons we set up a subculture is because a lot of Christians weren't good enough. They weren't better than a lot of the pop stars and rock stars, and so we set them up a cute little world where they could be mediocre but still be very popular and make some money. That's one of the reasons we set it up. Uh, I would even give you as a model on this, and, and for all I know, two weeks from now, they'll say something embarrassing and I'll have to take this back. But the guys that, from Need to Breathe... South Carolina, I think they do this balance really well, uh, where they just have some fun songs that have really, I mean, no spiritual application whatsoever. And then they have some great praise and worship stuff they do. And they they were able to keep this balance so well that I've I've never heard them say anything outlandishly, terribly bad the, bad in theology. But two tours ago, they were opening for Taylor Swift. I think on the on the Red Tour or the 1989 Tour. I can't remember which tour. Uh, but they were the opening act because they're good. They're just talented. And in this world now, where you don't need radio, like ra- radio just does, they're not the gatekeepers anymore. Uh, program directors at radio stations don't get to decide who's going to be successful and who doesn't. Kids on YouTube decide who's going to be successful and who isn't. 
So in that world, just go do art. If you're if you're a Christian comedian, Christian artist, Christian something, just go do a good job. John Christ is finding this out. John Christ is having wild success in the comic world. And he is primarily popular amongst Christians because he skewers, he parodies some things in the Christian world that deserve it. But he was just invited to one of the biggest secular comedy events in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, it's, it's one of the biggest in the country. When you look at the lineup, he is going to be on the same stage of some really nasty, filthy comedians. I mean, folks who I, I couldn't listen to two minutes of because of their filth. But Chris has good material that's relevant to everybody, Christians and non-Christians. It's just funny. It's just good. And what, what will happen with a Lauren Daigle and with a John Christ if they don't get labeled as Christian comedians because they're actually good, because they're actually talented, well, they'll draw some people. They'll draw some audience that is even outside the Christian world. And as they interact with Daigle and Chris and follow them, well, they can probably interact with some of the Christian material too. That's the better ethic here. So, to sum up, Lauren Daigle, this is not hard. The sexual ethic of the Bible is really clear, and you should be bold enough to say so. For all of us, let's learn not to be that way. Let's not be so much like the world that we're unclear, but let's also not be so unlike the world that we are uh, or sh- we have shunned them and they shun us back. And finally, can we, can we stop having a subculture of Christian things? Let's just do things well and interact with the culture around us. Okay, next up. Uh, so that was the Lauren Daigle controversy. Another Christian controversy here recently was Joel Osteen, get this, said something unbiblical. I know, you have to close your, close your mouth because you just had a <gasps> moment because you can't believe it. But gather yourself and collect yourself. I just want to play something for you from Joel Osteen, and then we will comment on it. It's about 40 seconds long. To show God that you're really humble. No, when you're poor, broke, and defeated, all that proves is that you're poor, broke, and defeated. It doesn't bring any honor to God. If I brought my two children up on the platform today and their clothes were all raggedy, worn out, holes in their shoes, hair not combed, you would look at me and think, what kind of father is he? It'd be a poor reflection on me. Listen, when you look good, dress good, live in a nice place, excel in your career, generous with others, that brings a smile to God's face. It brings him pleasure to prosper you. Okay there. Uh, so is it objectively false that God bring, it gets, God is pleasured by giving his kids good things and material blessings and prosper. No, that's not objectively false. But in the context in which Osteen is saying it, he is saying an untrue thing. He opened there with, it doesn't honor God at all for you to be suffering or for you to be broke. Well, Joel, may I present to you the whole of the Bible? Uh, The center of the story is a guy who's who said he didn't have a place to lay his head, who suffered enough that they actually crucified him, who traveled around. Sometimes they weren't sure what they were eating or where they were staying. We have an entire book of the Bible called Job where all of his health and wealth was taken from him. We can go to guys like, you go to Jeremiah, and he might have had some material security, but he spent his whole life warning people, and guys, it doesn't end well for him. It doesn't end well. He actually never really gets anything. He doesn't succeed at all. He didn't, quote, succeed in his career. You go to you want to go to Jonah, who had the, quote, success of, of 
leading the people of Nineveh to repentance, but then he hated himself for it because he hated the Ninevites, and then the book just ends with him mad at God for being so good that he redeemed the Ninevites. You're going to call that guy a winner? We have Paul in the Bible giving us the long list of stuff that happened to him, shipwrecked and bitten by snakes and beaten, uh, stoned, whipped with a... Uh, he was punished with a whip. Yeah, Joel, sometimes God does get good, get, get his own glory through suffering. Specifically, the, the watching world seeing a Christian suffer well, not wallowing in the pity of their suffering. You know, one of the problems he has there, that Osteen has, is not understanding what the word prosper means. He says God gets glory by prospering you. Well, does that only mean material things? Because if I am prospering spiritually, becoming more aligned with the image of Christ, that might mean losing some material things. That might mean having losing a relationship that feels like a failure or something. Like to the watching world, it might look like, hey, that was an objective bad thing, but the consequence of it was that I became more in the image of Jesus? Well, that's prospering me. That's your problem there, Joel, is you just have the wrong definition of prosper. It's not just material things. And so uh, because that clip went somewhat viral, I think it deserves a response. It's not true. It's utterly false. Uh, in, in the context in which he's saying it, he is saying, God gets no glory from your suffering. That's not true. The, the entire story of the Bible is littered with characters whose suffering leads to God getting glory and it's for our good. I think I said this last week on the show. I can't remember, so if I did say it, my apologies. But hey, repetition is sometimes good because you learn the concept. This is the problem a lot of folks have when they quote Romans 8, I think it's 8.28, uh, that all things work together for good for those who love God or who are the called according to his purpose. What they misunderstand is what good is. Good is not you necessarily getting the thing you want, getting the person you want, getting the job you want, getting the raise you want, getting the car you want, the whatever. That's not good. That's your definition of good. It's not God's definition of good because your definition of good terminates on this planet and turns into dust and meaninglessness. God's definition of good is, are you becoming more like my son? Well, all things... All inputs, all experiences, all of these things are working together for good. Well, what's good? Becoming more like Jesus. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be comfortable, guys and ladies. And so, just for Joel Osteen there, he's wrong. Um, oh, he's just totally wrong on that. All right, next up. This uh, story is not one I wanted to cover, uh, but I had, a, I think, two people sent it to me. So I had just a couple quick thoughts. The story actually came from West Point High School. I don't know what state that's in, uh, but this is apparently also happening at another high school called Butler High School, which was in Indiana. The, the situations are similar, where a teacher was fired for refusing to call a student by their newly adopted name, their newly adopted transgender name. So this teacher and these teachers, both men, by the way, in the, the process of their job, being asked now, this you know, a female student, 
Jane says she's now John. She wants to be called John, and he's, nah, I'm not calling you John. You're Jane. And he just calls her Jane and continues to use her and she type pronouns. Same situation at both high schools. Both guys were fired. Uh, Just a couple notes from the actual story. This is a quote as detailed during the course of the public hearing. Mr. Vlaming, that's the, that is the teacher at West Point High School, was recommended for termination due to his insubordination and repeated refusal to comply with directives made to him by multiple school administrators. So the student says she felt ostracized uh, for, and there was a hostile, let me find that, what she say? Ostracized and hostile learning environment. That's the other quote, that he was not using the pronoun. I have a couple general thoughts about the situation that we find ourselves in. This insanity we have found ourselves in where we're just not even paying attention to biology. I think when talking about the concept in the abstract or about people that you, like public figures and things like that, uh, let's go with Jenner. I got plenty of space for just calling Bruce Jenner Bruce and calling him a he and him because he still has the male body parts. He didn't he didn't go through the surgery. He went through one surgery, but not the not the one that that makes you a lady. In any event. That in the abstract, I'm going to just tell the truth and be accurate with my language. In the one-to-one scenario, I I think this is a matter of conscience, and I wouldn't fault a Christian either direction. Because there's an argument, I think, to be made here that while I, I firmly stand by the, the understanding we all had up until about 20 minutes ago, that people who are struggling with this are struggling with a emotional disorder, that they are disordered, uh, that they should treat their mind, not treat their body. There is maybe a level of kindness to speaking to them how they want to be spoken to one-to-one, and maybe in that way creating an environment where you can speak into the situation. I can see that argument, and I actually don't know what I would do, because at some level I also see the argument, well, that's lying. Jane is not John. Jane is Jane. She is a girl. That by, by the definition of biology, she's a girl. By doing anything else, it's lying to her, and it's that lie is going to hurt her eventually. I can see both arguments there, and I think there's room inside the discussion for anyone's conscience either way. I'm not sure what I would do, but I, the one rule of thumb I have come to is, in the abstract, talk about it with a lot of clarity tr- and what's true and false. In the one-to-one, when you're dealing with a human in front of you, Leave some space for liberty for one another. Uh, I do want to talk about the situation with Kyler Kyler Murray and Kevin Hart from last week. A couple other items when we return, so stick with us for the remainder of the Corey Truax Show. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. Merry Christmas to you and happy Advent season. Here is where we're probably going to finish up today. I don't know. Maybe we'll have time for a couple other items. I do want to try to get to the latest on the Mueller-Trump stuff. Here is an interesting thing happening in the culture. Kevin Hart is a very funny, sometimes less than savory comedian. And, I mean, he's less than... He's R-rated, often. He was chosen to host the Oscars. I'm sure you've all heard this. And then some really just sad and miserable people went back to look at everything he's ever tweeted and decided that some of his tweets and a previous comedy bit that he did 
is was so inappropriate and so so terrible, so mean that he should not be able to host. And I say that they're miserable people because you do have to be a miserable person. I mean, consider that. Considering consider being a human being that hears Kevin Hart has been given the greatest honor of his career, I would say, hosting the Oscars. And your immediate reaction is, oh, I got to find something to destroy this guy. I mean, what if he has said something I disagree with? If he said something I disagree with and he's about to be honored, I have to destroy him. Let's go find a way to destroy his life and his career. That's a miserable human being who doesn't just hear, hey, Kevin Hart, got a cool job you wanted. Oh, cool. Well, I'm going to go on with my day now uh, because my life doesn't exist to destroy the lives of others. So, so, but they did. And here is... The tweet was the same as a, a bit that he's done. I've heard the bit. If you don't know, I talk about it from time to time. I'm very much into stand-up comedy. I love stand-up comedy. I've heard a lot of Kevin Hart over the years. Very talented guy. He made the joke about how he doesn't he doesn't want his son to be gay. It's not a thing that he wants to happen. And so whenever his son has done anything effeminate, he won't allow it. He'll he'll stop it aggressively. Like the joke, I think the public joke, or maybe it was the tweet, was... You know, if he was playing with a dollhouse, he'll break the dollhouse over his, his baby boy's head. Like, that's an obvious joke, because that's also about, that is called child abuse. So, uh, and if you're going to be concerned with one or the other part of that joke, like, I'll break the toy over my son's head, and the part you're, you're offended by is, well, he doesn't think his son should be gay. Be more offended by the hitting of your kid, okay? That's the thing to be more offended by for Kevin Hart. But you should be offended by neither. You know why? Because it's a joke. This is how much of a, a disingenuous, miserable person you have to be to be offended by Kevin Hart. You, you can own, uh, you, you have to make up a untenable and illogical interpretation of what he said. Because what he said was, I, uh, I'm gonna, I would like to do even violent things to keep my kid from being gay. Okay, so you can either take it as a joke and you can all chill, or you can take it as a parent. A parent who says, you know, I've, I've already been told by all of you in the secular world that gay kids have it harder. I, I, just as a dad, I want to have grandkids. I want to have biological grandkids. That's what I want. So if you're taking it as a joke, well, then chill out. It was a joke. If you're refusing to take it as a joke, well, then he gets to feel that way as a parent. He's allowed. That's the emotion he's allowed to have regarding this topic. But you've made up a third new thing just because you need to find meaning in your life, and so you tried to go destroy him, and that's how you found the meaning in your life that day. So Kevin Hart uh, would have been fired from doing the Oscars, released from it, so he just stepped down. He made the mistake of apologizing. He shouldn't have, should not have apologized for that. Just hey guys, that's a joke. If you can't get, if you are offended by comedy, don't listen to me. That's that's your role in this. Now that's what this was also compiled or on with something of the same weekend for Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray just won the Heisman Trophy. He was the incredible quarterback this year of the Oklahoma Sooners. And after he won the Heisman Trophy, it was just, I don't think it was an hour later, USA Today was publishing tweets from when Kyler Murray was 14. He is 19 or 20 now, but more important, he was 14. We, we are now, we're, now, we're now that far. Like, we're going back to when people were 14 because we want to know what their thoughts were because they, they have to be punished that they weren't the right thoughts. He tweeted some things that, yeah, I think I would call it homophobic. Uh, that's that's probably the right term for uh, what what he did. And so people wanted him punished. They want bad things to happen to him because he once said a thing they disagree with. 
so this is insane. It's an insane way to live. It's an insane way to to go about your to go about your life to try to find things people have said in the past that you disagree with and then try to get them destroyed. But I think here is the larger point that we should take from it as you are trying to decipher what might be to come culturally and politically. There is a a movement called intersectionality. Let me quickly give you a definition. On the left side of the political spectrum, intersectionality is a academic term for a coalition of activists and voters. And it's all about the oppressor versus oppressed dynamic. So uh, you if you're an, op- an oppressed group, all the oppressed groups need to get together to fight the oppressors. So this is how Islam and feminism can coexist because to that in, to that intersectional left to intersectionality, well, Muslims have been discriminated against, and so have women. So, despite the fact that Islam is terrible to women, it doesn't matter because the real enemy is the power structure, and the power structure is white, male, and Christian. And so, we just got to destroy the white, male, Christian, and so everything else is intersectional. Where we intersect all these other groups is that we are put upon. We are oppressed. And so in the intersectionality world, you get points for all of your intersection, all of the intersections that you cross. So if someone is a black lesbian woman, well, I guess if you're a lesbian, you are a woman. Uh, so the black lesbian is, they've got more points than the white gay male. Because well she's black and she's and she's a lesbian so she gets more intersectional points, and you you add those up and the, and that's the voices that matter the most the voices that matter the most the people we should listen to the most are the people who have been the most oppressed so that's their that's their system of thought you're about to see that by the way play out I think quite interestingly in the Democratic primary for president because there are still just normal Democrats out there who just think the Government should be bigger. There should be more social services. Like, there's the normal Democrat, like the Joe Biden Democrat out there. They're finding that rude awakening that there's two other coalitions of the Democratic Party right now where there's the old school Democrat, and then there's the economic extremist, like the Bernie Sanders. Like, everything is oppressor oppressed, but it's rich versus poor. So we just have to find a way to destroy the rich and reward the poor. And then there's these insane intersectional people that are about all these different dynamics. Now, back to the main point. Part of the left left coalition, the Democratic coalition, for a long time, has been African-American people. That's a 90% and above voting block. I think we are starting to see some fissuring of black men from that movement. Like, for example, Nick Cannon, he is another black comic. And when this happened to Kevin Hart... He just went on Twitter and found all of the seemingly anti-gay jokes from other comics, white women or Hispanic people. And he just started posting all those tweets and asking the question, well, when are these people going to be punished? When are they going to have jobs taken from them? And what Nick Cannon is finding out, what Kevin Hart is finding out, and what I think a lot of black men are about to find out, what Kyler Murray is finding out, is because you're a man, you're part of the patriarchy, you don't have enough intersectionality points. And so when I think that group of people, when black men who have been part of the left's coalition realize 
well, actually, we value in the intersectionality movement, we value sexuality more than race. So someone being a sexual minority is way more important than someone being a racial minority. And when that starts to become very clear, I think there might be a, a fracturing of that group, and that's only going to be good for the country. One more thought on this, we'll move. Final thoughts will be on uh, the President of the United States. This is a, should be a good reminder for all of us all the time to not be people that use they language. This came up with a friend of mine here recently. Where it is not a biblical thing. It is also not an intellectual thing to think of people as groups and their group identity. So if you have in you, and I think a lot of us do, and we don't realize it, we have the ability to think of groups and call them they. Thinking, I've said, I say this a lot on the show, but it needs to be, you need to be reminded. And then even search your own heart. Can you think of a racial group and just say, well, they, and then fill in the blank with something? Can you think of a, a religious group or some kind of group and say, well, they do. Well, if that's in you, you need to root that out of you. Because every individual gets to be their own self. And you can evaluate people as individuals. The same way you wouldn't want to be evaluated by your group identity, don't do that. Don't do that to other people. Evaluate people one by one by one by one and not the group to which they belong. Final thoughts? Because I got a text from a friend, and I got a Facebook message from a friend, and then I got another, I don't know, was it a direct message on Twitter? What do you think about all this Trump stuff? Because you never talk about it anymore. And what they meant by the Trump stuff was all the indictments or potential indictments coming down from Mueller and the Russia probe. And so I'll give you my best. I mean, none of us know anything. I wish we'd all sort of wait. Just wait. Mueller has a report coming. You don't... uh, like, this will be the beginning of my commentary on it. Stop listening to CNN or Fox about it. Because you know what none of them know? Anything. No one on CNN knows anything about how this is going to go down. No one on Fox knows anything about how all this is going to break down with the president and the Mueller probe and the Southern District of New York and what they're doing with Michael Cohen. We don't actually know anything yet. There's very few documents. We have very little to go on. We just have wild speculation. And if you go over to CNN or MSNBC, you're thinking that the impeachment of the president is imminent. And if you go over to Fox, you think that nothing bad has ever happened anytime. So maybe listen to none of them and get this. Just wait. Do something else with your life. Pay attention to something else. I don't know. Your family. Your job. Get a hobby. Instead of worrying about what's going on with all of this garbage. Here's where I think we're going to land. I don't think Mueller is going to find anything regarding an underlying crime of collusion. I don't think he's going to even have anything circumstantial that shows the President of the United States or even anyone around him colluded with Russians or the Russian government to win this election. I think the most damning thing we know has already happened. Uh, there was that meeting in Trump Tower with Vetsel, Vetsel Naskayev, I think is how you say your name, a Russian attorney, uh, where they say they were talking about adoption. I doubt it. I, that was a, um, they were definitely talking about trying to get information about Hillary Clinton. That's definitely true. Uh, that's not, that's not legal, technically. You can call it unethical, but I don't think it's technically illegal. So I don't think he's going to find anything under... There's not an underlying crime for collusion. Certainly there won't be enough to bring any kind of charges. What I do suspect is that Mueller will be able to indict a bunch of people, and more than he already has, for process-related things. So in the course of the investigation, he will have found a way 
that someone is obstructing justice and will deserve to be punished for it. Someone has committed perjury and will need to be punished for it. Or like what he did with Paul Manafort. Well, in the course of the investigation, well, he just found out there was some tax stuff he did he shouldn't have done back in the day. That's totally unrelated to what's going on with Russia. And so what I think will ultimately come out of this investigation is something we all already knew. The, this particular president does not surround himself with good people. He surrounds himself with a lot of garbage people that do garbage things. Because characters, character traits tend to attract people with similar character traits. And so it's not surprising, it shouldn't be surprising that this president attracted really bad people to him because he's a bad person. I don't think he, the president himself, I don't think he gets, there's nothing close to an indictment here. And I would wonder, because there's two, there's two things going on at the same time. There's the Mueller probe, that's thinking about Russia. And then there's the Southern District of New York, which is more looking into Michael Cohen and whether or not campaign finance laws were violated with the paying off of Stormy Daniels. I don't think there's anything coming from Russia. I think there's way more likely to be a problem with campaign finance, that it's not the Mueller probe, it's the thing going on in the Southern District of New York that could be more damaging to the president. And even in that case, because that's a state, that's a, a crime coming out of, I don't, I don't even think that's a federal crime, then you, you really have to talk about impeachment as your method of punishment, not an actual like criminal investigation and going to trial and all that. So for all those asking, that's what I think, uh, and that's what I, that's what I think we're going to come to. And again, let's wait. But we don't have to jump on uh, any kind of bandwagon and have a bunch of wild speculation. We can just wait for the information. Hey, I mean this. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for giving us time every week on the podcast or live on Christian Talk 660. It means a ton when you share the show with others. We'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. We'll actually have sports back next week as well. Start breaking down some of the upcoming bowl games. Uh, so a lot to do. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks for listening to the Corey Act Show. We'll be back with another new edition next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.